Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day and, Lord, for the privilege it's ours to come out to your house. God, I pray that each and every individual here this morning indeed counts it a privilege to be able to come and lift up our voices in praise, God, and and to hear from your word and to fellowship one with another, God. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that because of the work of your Son, Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit, God, that all these things can happen as we gather here today. Lord, we know that all will be in vain today, Lord, unless your Spirit attends unto all that is said and all that is done. So, God, I pray, Lord, that uh, as the words are spoke this morning, your Holy Spirit would bear witness, Lord, would send it out in power. Lord, may it find a lodging place in the hearts and minds of these, your people. And, God, I pray that uh, whatever is said today, Lord, will be thought of throughout the course of this week and meditated upon as people go their separate ways. Guide us and lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I ask the question this morning, uh, do any of you plan on making a New Year's resolution, I guess a lot of hands would probably go up. If I then ask the question, how many of you think you'll keep it? There would probably be much fewer hands. Uh, we have learned throughout time as we've made our resolutions and broke them uh, through the years that it probably really just doesn't pay to try and make a resolution. However, there is one thing that comes across my mind often, and especially as has already been spoken of this morning by uh, Ben, comes across my mind that I won't to have a greater fellowship with the Lord as I go through this next year. I make that my goal. I don't make it so much as a resolution, but it's something that I want. It's something that I desire to have a deeper fellowship and relationship with God, to know more about Him, to know more about His Word, to experience more of His might and power in my life. And I think we see that even the Apostle Paul here in these verses that were read to us earlier has that same desire. Uh, he made the statement, was talking about all the things that he had accomplished in the flesh as he was a uh, Jew and followed the law and followed not the things of God. And he talked about all that and he says, I've set that aside. He said, I don't count that as anything but rubbish. He said, my one goal and desire now is to have a deeper relationship with God and with Christ Jesus. He said, I don't feel like I have attained unto that. He said, but I still press forward towards that every day of my life. And the verse that I want to primarily look at this morning is in verse 10. Because there, I think, we see the manner in which if we are going to accomplish that relationship in our life, this is going to be the way that we're going to have to do it, even as he brought forth here. He said, I count all things but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness uh, of, or the righteousness of my own, which comes by the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness of God that depends on faith. And then he says these words, that I may know him 
and the power of His resurrection and may share His suffering, becoming like Him in His death. What did He mean when He says that I might know Him? Certainly, we know He had a head knowledge of Christ. He had a head knowledge of Christ when He was a Jew. Uh, he hated Christ. He hated those who followed Christ. Uh, he consented unto the death of Christians. He even sought Christians and brought them before the authorities that they might be charged for being followers of Jesus Christ. So we know he had a head knowledge of Christianity and of Christ himself and who he was. But that's not the kind of knowledge he's talking about. He says, I want a deep, abiding fellowship, relationship, and an intimacy with Christ. That's what he's talking about. He says, I want that relationship to go beyond a head knowledge. I want it to become a heart knowledge, and I want it to become a part of my everyday life. There's a lovely lady sitting back here on the left side. She's my wife. And I do something from time to time that aggravates her. One thing, that's all, one thing. She'll get kind of down and out, and I can tell that there's something troubling her. And I'll go to her and I'll say, what's wrong? And I get the universal female answer, nothing. And I'll say, no, something's wrong. I know something's wrong. What is it? Let's talk about it. No, it's okay. It's It's nothing. And I'll finally probe a little bit more till finally she gets exasperated. And I wind up at that point telling her what's on her mind and what's aggravating her. And she usually says, you're right, that's it. And why did you even ask if you already knew? Now, my point being made is this. Why do I know so much about her? How in the world can I possibly know what's going on in her mind? And vice versa, if I'm honest, she knows the same things about me. It's because of our relationship together. It's because of the amount of time we spend together. It's because of the intimacy that we have one with another. I am so in tune with her and she with me that, yes, I ask the question, and yes, it may be an aggravation, but most of the time, I already know what's going on because I know her and she knows me. That's the kind of relationship that Paul is talking about here that he wants with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, I want to have a deep relationship with Him. I want an intimacy with Him. I want to have that kind of experience with the Savior. I want to know Him in a deep and meaningful way. Not just in my head, but I want to experience the religion in my heart. Not just my head. And that's what he means here when he says that I may know Him. goes well beyond a head knowledge, becomes a heart knowledge, and becomes something deep and meaningful and abiding. You say, well, how do we get there? Well, one of the reasons that I have that relationship with my wife is because we spend so much time together. Uh, you know, we live in the same house. Uh, we share meals together. 
We do everything together. We very rarely separate and her go one way and me go another. Most of the things we do, we do together because we're husband and wife. We have time that we spend together. And because of that, that is why we have that deep relationship one with another. So if we're going to have that with Jesus Christ, if we're going to have that uh, uh, ability to know Him in that way, we're going to have to spend time with Him. That's one thing that I hope this year we would all do would be to set aside more time with the Lord. To make it so important that there would be nothing that would interrupt our time that we set aside to spend with God. I forget who it was. It was either uh, Spurgeon or Luther. I, I, I forget which one. Things get caught up sometimes when you read so much. But one of the two of them made the statement, said, I've got so much to do today. I must spend the first three hours of the day in prayer. And I shake my head and I'm like, wow. i got to spend the first three hours of the day in prayer. But you know what? That's how we spend time with the Lord, is it not? In prayer. Is that not how we gain fellowship with Him? Is that not how He reveals Himself to us? Is that not some of our most intimate moments with Him? Is when we bow our knees in prayer and we get alone with Him and we try as best we can to clear our minds and to talk to the Lord and let Him talk to us and reveal and share in that way? We spend time with Him in prayer. Not only in prayer, but we spend time with Him in the reading of the Scriptures. There's a book we've got here. And it's a great treasure. I don't think we count it as much of a treasure as we ought. From beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, it points out our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may say, well, wait a minute. Jesus didn't come till." You know, the New Testament, all that has to do with Him. He's all through the Old Testament as well. And types and shadows and even appearances in the Old Testament. And we can find out all we need to know about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the reading of this book. We have in the bulletin a daily reading plan. I would suggest you follow it. Where you can read through the Bible in a year's time. I think you ought to do that every year, really. So you can become so familiar with the Word of God and have such a relationship with it and in turn have a relationship with Him because He has been so revealed unto us through the pages of Scripture. And we know about Him. We know what He desires. We know what He wants from us. We know the kinds of life that He wants us to have and to live. There's a passage of Scripture that says, we have the mind of Christ. Think about that. If I have the mind of Christ, I ought to have the same thoughts as Christ. You remember the bracelets several years ago, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's a good thought. What would He do? We find out here. He tells us what He would do. And our thoughts ought to be the same as His thoughts. His judgments ought to be the same as our judgments. We ought to judge situations the same way He would. And we ought to have the same resolve that He had. What was His resolve? 
his resolve was to do only the things in his life that pleased the Father. That ought to be our resolve as well. So we have that knowledge of him through reading and through prayer and through serving. Paul was going to do the work of the Lord. You go back, and we've just gone through the book of Acts. And look at what all Paul did and what all he accomplished. All the churches that he set up. All the people that he reached out and touched. And even today, we're reading his epistles. He's still reaching out and he's still touching through the work of the Holy Spirit because of the service that he performed. Every one of us has a work that God has set aside for us. And we are to work together in order to bring the greater good to pass. And we're to work together and edify one another. And to be meaningful in each other's life. We're to serve together and have fellowship together. Why did we come here this morning? Certainly we come to praise the Lord. To lift up our voices. I'm thankful for the songs that were sung this morning. Beautiful songs. Certainly we come to hear from the Word of God. But we also come to fellowship one with another. Because the Bible tells us that iron sharpeneth iron. It tells us that a twofold cord is not easily broken. We gather strength one from another. When we gather together and fellowship together, we are made stronger. And we draw closer not only to one another, but we draw closer to the Lord because of that fellowship we have with each other. The Bible tells us very clearly not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why is it so important? Because there's fellowship. There's something to be gained there. We not only grow together, but we grow in the Lord. And then in worship as we lift up our voices in praise. I think about songs a lot of times. And certainly other people have written them. But it don't mean that that song cannot be mine. John Newton or Isaac Watts or whoever may have penned it. But when I sing, I can make that my song unto the Lord. I'm singing it in praise unto Him. I'm lifting up my voice in worship and adoration unto Him. And that's pleasing to Him. And in turn, I can grow deeper in my fellowship with Him in my praising of Him. What are we going to be doing throughout all eternity but praising the Lord? So why not let's get an early start. Lift up our voices in praise now as we serve Him in that way. So Paul says, the one thing that I want in my life is to know the Lord. Not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. I want to know Him in a deep, intimate relationship and share with Him in that way. Then he goes on and he says, in the power of His resurrection. What do we derive from the power of of the resurrection. Well, the Bible very clearly tells us, first of all, our justification. Book of First Corinthians chapter 15 says, If Christ be not raised, then what? Your faith is in vain. And you are yet in your sins. So our justification itself comes because of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because He rose from the dead, we are justified. But not only that, our sanctification as well. Where does the power come from to make us better people day by day? It doesn't come up within myself. Isn't that what Paul said? 
He said, I've, I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to bring about my own righteousness. He said, the righteousness that I want now is a righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ by faith. And that ought to be our desire too, is to be sanctified through that resurrection power to become more and more and more like Him every single day of our lives. We've all known people that have lived well on up into years, 60, 70, 80 years, and they're still babes in Christ. What a shame. What a shame. Used to be an old song that was sung. I uh, hadn't heard it in a long time. It says, "I want to know more about my Savior." Not only that, I want to be more like Him, and that's our goal. We're to strive to be like Him. We're to strive to follow the example that He set forth. And as much as is within us, and as much as we can find power and strength, be sanctified to be like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What does Romans 12 say? He said, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There's nothing grand about that. It's only reasonable that we would have that desire. And he goes on and he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's our sanctification right there. We're to be walking away from this world and all the things that this world has for us and walking more and more and more towards Him. Not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that happens through the power of the resurrection. The power that raised Him up from the dead is available to us to be able to live in that fashion. We're also to live to edification. Why am I still here? I mean, you know, why not the minute we become Christians, God just take us home? We're here for a reason. We're here for a purpose. He gives each and every one of us a work. And we're to strive to be an edifying person towards others, that we live our lives in such a fashion that somebody can gain some good out of my life. I was watching a thing Christmas Day. My uh, brother-in-law had taped it, and I was kind of intrigued by it. Back in the 70s, some of y'all may not remember the 70s. I remember them all too well. But anyway... There was two individuals that played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you remember the 70s, the Steelers were the team. They were almost undefeatable. And they had two wide receivers, one by the name of Lynn Swan and the other one by the name of John Stallworth. And they were interviewing these two men. And it told about how Stallworth was always kind of in the shadow of Lynn Swan because Lynn Swan was such a great receiver and so acrobatic in a lot of the catches that he made. And, and he was the primary target of the quarterback of that time, Terry Bradshaw. But because he was the primary target, he got beat around a lot too. And he retired at an early age of 30. And that gave Stallworth the ability to rise up and become 
the individual that everybody focused on like it had been with Swan. And he said, you know, I never really wanted to be in the limelight. He said, I always just wanted to do something to help our team on a given day. Immediately my mind clicked and I made a spiritual application of that. We ought to live our lives every day to be meaningful to somebody. To, to be a help to somebody. Uh, to, to help uh, comfort them. Or to help guide them. Or to put a thought in their mind that they can think about through the course of that day and, and be stronger because of the fact that they have been in contact with us. Think about that. To be edifying one to another. And then the power of the resurrection... It'll lead to our glorification. It's responsible for our justification, sanctification, edification, and ultimately our glorification. That's the end of it all, is it not? When we go to be with Him, when He calls us home, and or when He returns to this earth, we go to be with Him and we experience the glorification to become what we've been striving to become all this time. It finally becomes reality, and that strength is made real in our lives. So that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And then we come down to the next part to share or have fellowship in His suffering. Here's where we may begin to draw back a little bit. Because really, if I asked, and if we were honest, we don't want to suffer. We'd like to go through this life unscathed. There's, there's probably a little bit in each and every one of us that wished it was kind of like the prosperity gospel promises, you know, that you can go through life and everything be okay and you can be prosperous and you won't be sick and you'll all the time be healthy. There's probably a little bit in each and every one of us that wishes that were true. We know better. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that it's not. Uh, the Bible makes it quite clear that there's going to be times of suffering in our lives. And we're going to draw back from it. But we should not. Because we have an example of a suffering Savior. And we're also told that as He suffered, that we should suffer. And it also says that we should glory in that suffering because it shows forth our unity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Have you ever had anybody in your life that just didn't like you? <laughs> and if you ask that individual, I'm talking about primarily lost folks. If you ask that individual, why do you not like me? They really couldn't give you a reason. There's just something about you that they don't like. I can tell you what it is. You know it. I do. It's what is inside of us. It don't have anything to do with us necessarily. It's what is inside of us, that Holy Spirit that makes them a little bit uneasy whenever they're around us because they don't have that same Spirit. The Bible makes it clear. It says if you are going the way of the world and if you're in with the gang, they're going to love you. But if you go in the opposite direction, they're going to hate you. And there will be suffering. But you know what? That suffering 
means we have communion with the Lord. I've said it before. I'll say it again. And if I stay around long enough, y'all probably hear me say it again and again and again because it's so true. The times of growth in my life, when I grew the most, or feel like I grew the most, let me put it that way, ultimately God knows, was in times of suffering. It wasn't in the good times when things were just rocking along. It was in the hard times. That's where I grew. That's where I felt Him closer than I did at other times. That's when I had a deeper relationship than I did with Him at other times. Suffering's going to do one or two things. It's going to draw us closer to the Lord, or it's going to drive us away. We ought to let it draw us closer to the Lord and have a deeper relationship with Him and have communion with Him. And the Bible says that a lot of the things He went through, He went through for what reason? That He might be able to comfort us in time of need. To, to succor us in our time of, of hurt and pain. And it will manifest itself in actual sufferings in our lives. But Paul says, I don't want to draw away from that. I want to welcome that. I want to know that it's because I'm in relationship with Him that these things are happening. And then last of all, he says, and then be conformed to His death. Commentators are kind of scattered on this as to what this actually means. Uh, I'll bring out a couple of them that I gleaned from others and then one that I kind of zeroed in on myself. First of all, a lot of them believe that being conformed unto his death is the mortification of sin in our lives. That we're be, to be putting to death sin. You know, we talked a while ago about sanctification and how we're to become more and more like Him and not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. We do that by putting sin to death in our life. Uh, that, that we strive more and more and more to put it aside, to hold it down, to not lie, uh, let it rise up and, and become part of who we are. And so a lot of the commentators believe that he, that's what he's talking about here is that we would mortify sin in our life, conformable to His death in that way. And a lot of them believe it's in actual death itself. Um, that when we leave this walk of life, we'll leave this walk of life as He leave, uh, left it, with a desire to serve Him, to be with Him, to, you know, we'll be resurrected with Him, uh, we'll go to be with Him, absent in body, present with the Lord. But I kind of zeroed in on a part, and that's where I want to leave this this morning. The thought come to my mind, his whole life, he came for one purpose. What was that? He came to die. His whole purpose from beginning to end was sacrifice. While he was here on this earth, he sacrificed of himself for the good of others. And then he made the ultimate sacrifice of his life that he could provide salvation. And I thought, could that not be a part of what's being said as well? That we are to sacrifice. Because we're told, you know, a lot of times 
I'm glad for the chapters and verses because it makes it easy to find what you want to find. But we never should lose sight of the fact that this was a letter. Paul didn't break it up in chapters and verses. When he wrote it, he wrote it just like you and I would write a letter to someone else. So there's a theme that goes all the way through it. And listen to some of this second chapter. We'll begin with chapter 3 of the second chapter. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let's stop right there. That's not the way of the world, is it? That we would count other people more significant than ourselves. Most of the time, people are striving to be number one. To be the one that is in the forefront. To be the one that everybody's looking at. But we're commanded here to count others more significant than ourselves. And he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interest of others. And he goes on and he gives the example. He says, Have this mind in you, uh, which was in Christ Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. On a cross. So there's two things there that I want to leave with you as we close out. And that's the idea of when he says here, conform to his death. He just had gotten through in this second chapter telling them to look at others more significant than themselves and to look to the interests of others. Is that not what? Christianity is all about? Is that not what being a brother and sister in Christ is all about? I should not only care about my things, but I should equally, and we're told in some places even more so, have your care and concerns as high as mine, if not above mine. Sacrifice being conformed to his death as he was willing to come to this earth. God, God himself, leaving heaven. He said he thought it equality with God, not a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and came and took on the form of a servant. In heaven came to earth the humility and servanthood that he showed forth. We are to show one to another. I had a thought, you know, we come around and we have communion and I'm not trying to infringe on anything that will be said here as we have it here in a few minutes. But the thought came to my mind, we read every week the institution and it says when we take it, we do show forth the Lord's death till he comes. What does it mean to show forth? That word can also be translated proclaim. That word can also be translated preach. 
What are we preaching? What are we proclaiming? Or what are we showing forth when we take part of the Lord's Supper? We're saying that, yes, He died. He shed His blood and His body was broken. He did that for me. We say that it's an institution for Christians. So as we come around and we take it, then we're affirming and saying, I am a child of God. I'm a recipient of that grace. But as you come around today, let me give you something else to think about. That person in front of you, that's your brother or sister in Christ. That person behind you, that's your brother or sister in Christ. The ones that are here serving, it's your brothers in Christ. We're family. We're not just random people that come to this place on a given Sunday. We're family. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. We're showing that forth whenever we take the Lord's Supper. Take a look at that person this morning in front of you and behind you and say, You're my brother. You're my sister. Your cares is my cares. Your concern's my concern. And if there's any way that I can help, I would put as much effort into reaching out and helping you as I would myself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. God, I pray that this day, Lord, something has been said that would find a lodging place in the hearts and minds of your people. Lord, continue to instruct us as this day goes along, Lord, in your word. Uh, May this word, Lord, not uh, leave as we leave, God, but may it go with us. And God, may we all have a desire to put it to work every day in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.